Welcome to the MindBeat podcast by Effective School Solutions. I'm your host, Duncan Young, CEO of Effective School Solutions. And I'm your co-host, Lane Whitaker, Senior Director of Professional Learning at Effective School Solutions. The MindBeat podcast is the definitive source for all topics related to school-based mental health, from sharing best practices to highlighting innovative school districts to keeping track of legislation. MindBeat is the go-to source for educators and administrators looking to implement a mental health care continuum. Together, we can make a difference in school-based mental health care and in the lives of students, families, and educators. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the MindBeat Podcast. My name is Duncan Young. I'm the CEO of Effective School Solutions. And I'm Lane Whitaker. I'm Vice President of Professional Learning at Effective School Solutions. We have another great episode uh, for you. We actually have an in-studio guest who we're going to fully introduce in the next couple of minutes. But our guest is Jane Dembski, who is the founder of the School Avoidance Alliance. We're going to have a great discussion with her about school avoidance, chronic absenteeism, uh, you know, some of the things that are really keeping educators up at night and at this unique time in American education are really causing, uh, I think, a lot of challenges for uh for school districts. We're really excited uh, to uh, get to Jane very shortly. Lane, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm great, Duncan. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. I know we're not supposed to be kind of like timely in terms I of know. saying when we record this, but <laughs> but this is the day before Halloween. Halloween. So how's your how are your Halloween preparations going? So I I'm I'm actually a little disappointed in myself. Usually I dress up, I'll do a costume, I get really excited about it. This year I just I don't know, it snuck up on me. But I was downtown over the weekend and saw other people going to their holiday soirees or whatever and all dressed up. I saw some hilarious costumes. Um, this guy was across the street from me on Broad Street, and I was like, Andre Agassi? <laughs> and he had this fantastic mullet with the headband on, the short tennis shorts and the, the racket and stuff. He's like, nobody knows what I am. This is so great. You recognize me. So I thought that was funny. There was um, this one guy who had on like all black, and he just had scary things pinned to him. So like bills, mortgage, student loans, and like, like divorce and all these like, So he was like just a black cloud of woe. Hanging yes. over your head. Just all scary adulting things all written over. I thought that was funny, too. There was a lot of good. I saw Sunny and Cher. Um, There's a lot of good couples ones. Um, but yeah, I just think it's so fun. I like funny costumes. I'm not so much into the scary things. Yeah. Uh, and I've seen a lot of cool decorations over this uh, this last week or two. If some, some houses are really done up nice. Yeah. Like, what is the statute of limitations, though? Like, when you go back on, like, Andre Agassi, you're talking, like, yeah. a good 25-year-old <laughs> reference where... Yeah. So, it's like, it's like the if, if the tree falls in the woods and no one's around to hear it, does it does really it make, make a sound? sound? If you do an awesome costume, yeah. but no one gets it, is it actually an awesome well, costume? I think that's the... I'm question. thinking that if you're going to a Halloween party, you're probably not going with people who are not in your age demographic, right? Like you're pro so like, do you care if the 20 year olds recognize you, right? Like if you're going to a party, I assume they're your contemporaries where they would get it, maybe. So yeah. was this person at a holiday? Was it a Halloween party of like the Andre Agassi fan club? No, uh, that where everybody didn't knew get exactly that who. <laughs> Wait, I'm Andre Agassi. I'm Stephanie Graff. Street. Right? I so, waved across the street like, oh, that's so fun. I We didn't get that deep. I don't know where he was headed. I just, But you can count on If you're in the city the weekend before Halloween, there's just people just milling around who are on in, their way. This is in Philly? In Philadelphia, okay, yeah. I'm it. sorry. I should have mentioned. I was in Center City, Philadelphia. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you could have gone as like Craig Kimbrell or something like that or one I, of the- I uh, don't know. Who's Craig? <laughs> he's, the, he's the relief pitcher who basically blew oh. the playoffs for the Phillies. So I got to yeah. tell you, I, baseball is just not- 
my thing. I, I it's, not just, my, it's not my thing anymore. I, I don't know it will, it anybody will in April, baseball. Now, I know so. Bryce Harper. I just don't know. And, you know, you know, football is my thing. Basketball is my thing. I don't have a thing for baseball. I find it incredibly boring. I've been to games where people are like, oh, if you go, it's so much more exciting. I had boxy tickets last summer. I was bored to tears. I was like, is it over here? <laughs> I, just, I just don't enjoy it. I, I'm, yay, Phil's though. I'm glad for them yeah. <laughs> that they had a good season. Well, my, my favorite Halloween tradition, I can't remember if we talked about this this mm. time last year, is uh, I do this thing with my kids called the candy lineup, where every oh. time we, <laughs> the, we, we we take their Halloween haul, and then we basically lay it out and we rank order the candies nice. from like first <laughs> to last. And then I usually like put something up on social media and, you know, it always What's top three? Uh, top three for me would be uh, my, my number one candy bar of all time. This is like a newer one, but yeah. like a take five. They're good with like everything in Love it, like five. pretzels and Love stuff are in five. it. That yeah. is good. It's not, that, that was not good. around when I was a kid, yeah. but like, you know, in that terms really of like good. a new school, yeah. you know, candy, that's my number one. Yeah. Um, I'm a big Twix fan. I like okay. Twix, you know, cookie crunch. Yes. It's really yes. Nice. Yes. Um, and what else would be caramel cookie? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you can't go wrong with a peanut butter cup. I of course. That's classic. So how about you? What's your, what's your top three? Um, I don't normally see this, but when you said the, the take five, it made me think of like my favorite old school candy bar is actually a fifth Avenue, but you hardly ever see. Do you remember fifth Avenue? They were yeah, so I, good. Yeah, I put Fifth Avenue in the same category as like a Clark bar. A Clark bar, <laughs> yeah. Like you, don't, you don't really hear, you don't hear about a Clark bar anymore. Yeah, no, and in fact, when you first said that you had this candy tradition with your kids, I thought you were telling me like what your take was going to be of their haul. Like you know, I used to put aside, this is the stuff for dad, like the milk duds. And oh, I do that. We call that, that's called the, that's called the dad tax. The right? dad so, tax. Yeah, and that's not just Halloween. That's basically any food they are consuming. Yeah. I basically get the dad tax, whether it's goldfish, like, you know. Are you in the car? You hear the thing? You're like, would you reach your hand back? Whatever it is, no, totally, I want to. So. Totally. That, that's the that's that's you, you just blindly put your yep. hand back. You let your surprise. You let your, what is it? You let your kid place the food tax in your hand, and then you and then you eat it. Absolutely. The dad tax. I love it. Yeah, it's usually six percent. So if there's like a hundred goldfish in the bag, yeah. I, I should get six of the goldfish. So well, so I'm not usually seeing a Fifth Avenue in the candy hall, but I would say piece, Reese's uh, Buttercups are up there. I like Twizzlers, and I love the little Laffy Taffies. Those are good. And I this is going to be really, really nuanced. But you know, the, like the flavored Tootsie Rolls, the orange ones are bomb. I don't know what it is. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Habits, yeah, yeah. Yes, you have. Come on. They're like orange and some are like green, but they look like Tootsie Rolls, but they're different colors. Yeah. They're so good. You know what I had on Saturday, actually? <laughs> fun Dip. I had Fun Dip. You were Fun oh, Dip? Oh, yeah. Where you have to dip the little white stick so, into so all the fun flavors. Dip, it's like yeah. that. It's like you're like eating a, a sweetened piece of like blackboard chocolate, right? <laughs> and then you dip it, you dip it into you're like right. the little... A little like it's what is it, like pure it's pure like sugar, kool-aid right? it so, felt like little packets of kool-aid yeah. you're dipping it in <laughs> there's there's a zero percent chance that's healthy i forgot but, about that yeah what are they called fun dips fun dip fun dip yeah. i forgot all about that that chalky stick was nasty i mean that, that <laughs> it's just a, a vehicle candy, that has not changed in like 50 years nope. it's been exactly the same which is when it came on yeah. my radar screen it was probably on on you know, it was probably around for like 30 years before that so i used to like sugar babies back in the day my Nana used to have a corner store near her and she'd always get me sugar babies there. Do you remember that? They're like the little caramel little treats. Yeah, They're yeah, like yeah. sugar daddies and the sugar babies. Yeah. The sugar are. daddy was like on a stick. Yeah. That was harder to work with. But it's all sugar, sugar family. Babies. You have like the sugar mama, sugar daddy, sugar babies. So. I'm only aware of the, the daddy and the bam and yeah. the, the sugar baby. family of sweets. So. All right. So well, good. we should, uh, we have, we have a, we have a guest waiting. We yes. should probably jump into it. Why don't you Very get started exciting. with our top three for today? We have a theme today, so 
we're going to be talking about top three ways to support kids with anxiety. And this is based off of an article called um, what to do and not and what to do and not to do when children are anxious. Uh, this is coming from Child Mind. I think we'll have a link to it up on um, with the podcast. So um, they had like 10 things. We only have a top three. So I did kind of merge a few. Uh, so the first one is Remember, the goal isn't to eliminate anxiety, but to help a child manage or tolerate it uh, so that we shouldn't be avoiding the things that cause kids to be anxious, but helping them to tolerate it. Um, I'm curious to see what our guest thinks about that. Um, don't reinforce the child's fears. Share our calm, not more anxiety, meaning that sometimes, uh, especially if we know a kid is anxious about something, we may talk it up or, or create more anxiety around the thing. So um, be careful not to reinforce those fears, whatever they may be. And then keep the anticipatory period short. So if that thing that's scary to them is coming up, let's not talk about it until we get much closer to the thing, because oftentimes the scariest part or the most anxious period is that period before we're going to do whatever it is that we're anxious about. Um, so that's the top three. Again, I'm really curious to see what our guest thinks about that article um, when we start talking about school avoidance today. I like the anticipatory period. So that's like yeah. if you're getting the shot at the doctor's office, yes. you don't tell your kid until you're actually like yes. in the waiting room. And that's it's a like, great surprise, example. Yeah, you're getting a shot. So That's a great example, yeah. yeah. And now it's over. So. <laughs> exactly. All right, well, let's go into in the, in the news. We have a great article today that I think is uh, incredibly timely relative to the guest that we have on today. And so the title of this article, and this article is from The 74, which is one of our favorite education websites. And uh, the article states, uh, it's post-pandemic, two out of three students attend schools with high chronic absenteeism. And then the, sub, the subtitle is Analysis of Federal Data Reveals the Relaxed Attitude Toward Daily Attendance, Experts Say. This is an article by Linda Jacobson. Uh, who writes for the 74. And this references an analysis from Attendance Works and the Everyone Graduates Center at Johns Hopkins University, which recently came out. And it basically shows that two out of three students, which is a staggering number, were enrolled in schools with high or extreme rates of chronic absenteeism during the 2021-2022 school year. So you're talking probably a good year after the, you know, worst of the pandemic and after yeah. school kind of lockdowns, came back and yeah. yeah, after lockdowns, after school came, kind of came back in, in, in session. And I think anecdotally, all of us who work in schools know that this continues to be a major, major problem um, right now. There's a lot of different definitions. I wouldn't say a lot, but I've seen a few different definitions for chronic absenteeism. Sometimes it's 10 absences per marking period. The definition they're using here is students who miss at least 10% of the school year, yeah. which would be about 18 days or four to five yeah. um, absences per marking period. But that's typically considered somewhere in that five to 10 um, absence per marking period is considered the definition of chronic absenteeism. So basically chronic absenteeism levels in this analysis uh, uh, remain extremely high at 28%. And this is actually from the early look of 2022-2023 figures. That is uh, almost double what the pre-pandemic levels of 16% are. One of the other things that's really, really notable here is how this varies by grade range. So elementary uh, students have actually had the biggest jump. So uh, in 2017-18, pre-pandemic elementary schools or elementary students were um, actually, this is the percentage of schools with extreme chronic absenteeism, 7% for elementary schools, 
uh, rising to 38% post-pandemic, whereas high schools were 31% rising to 56%. So very, very high levels, but the biggest jump on a percentage basis, definitely with elementary schools. And that's really concerning because if we are um, kind of, if students are forming kind of non-school attending habits in the early grades, it's going to be really, really hard to um, you know, address those habits once they get solidified a little bit later in time. Uh, I'm not going to go through the whole rest of the article, but there's a couple of great initiatives that are uh, highlighted here. Uh, so in um, the Cleveland area, actually in the East Cleveland School District, where I, I have done some work kind of in, in my past, um, uh, they actually have an, a, an initiative with the Cleveland Browns Foundation. And this is called the Stay in the Game Initiative, where they actually have NFL players pre-recording kind of robocall messages that go out to students to encourage them to go to school, stay in school, uh, you know, not be absent, things of of that nature. So uh, a lot of really good creativity going on, but clearly like a daunting challenge that a lot of school districts are facing. And and when you were giving those numbers, I'm thinking, is that only full days? Because I'm thinking about all the kids who are coming to school really late because it's taking them so long to get themselves together or they may be avoiding something that happens early in the day. Um, or the kids that go home early who call their parents all throughout the day. I have to go. I got to get out of here. I can't take it. Um, I don't, I wonder if that dad is even including that kind of student. Um, and I'm wondering too, now that so many people work from home, if kids are seeing that, like, I want to be home with my, my family, you know, maybe that was similar to the shutdown. Like I want that closeness. And so many more parents are working from home now. I remember doing presentation for some uh, paraprofessionals at a school and one approached me afterwards. We were talking about, um, uh, not energizing negativity as a part of nurture heart approach. And this person said to me, yeah, my kid got in school, uh, got in trouble at school, got suspended. And so I made him come to work with me thinking that'd be more punitive than sitting home and having all the accoutrements of fun time stuff at home, video games. And the, the afterwards, her son was like, this was the best day ever, mom. I really loved hanging out with you. She's like, no, no. <laughs> but just shows us, you know, kind of reinforces, you know, we don't think our kids think we're cool and whatever, but really they just want you. They want, so I can't say for every case, but a lot of cases, I think kids want to be with their parents. They want to have that time. They want to see what your day is like when you're uh, apart. So the pandemic probably, I, I'm curious to see what our guest thinks too, but I think that the pandemic was, drove it not only that kids were home and got used to being home but i wonder have the family dynamics how that's changed since the pandemic and how kids want to be home more 100 percent. yeah yeah well why don't we uh yeah. why don't we move into uh our uh, next segment here and we have a great guest why don't you introduce our guest and we'll get started Lee. i'd be happy to so today we're joined by jane Demsky, founder of school avoidance alliance uh, over the past 10 years, Jane has been helping families and schools navigate and overcome the challenges of school avoidance. She founded the School Avoidance Alliance in 2014 due to the firestorm of frustration and heartache from her son's chronic avoidance and the lack of support and information needed to help him. School Avoidance Alliance supports families and schools by providing parent education, professional development for educators. Both Jane and School Avoidance Alliance have been featured in USA Today, Education Week, The Washington Post, Ed Surge, Fox News, Good Morning Arizona, CBS Newsweek, and now MindBeat Podcast. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us, Jane. We're so happy to have you here. Thanks, Jane. Great to see you. So nice to be here. I hear about you guys all the time, and I, uh, I look at all your tweets, and I've even shared your school funding workbook that you have online. I think it's very 
helpful to schools who are always looking for creative ways to find funding for their initiatives and professional development. So I share that. Oh, thanks, Jean. Really no, appreciate that <laughs> and just appreciate all of the support for everything you're doing with school-based mental health and obviously school avoidance, which I think is just such a critical issue right now. Could we maybe start with some definitional types of things? Yeah, so sure. I, I know we, we use the term school avoidance mm-hmm. internally. We hear some uh, districts and others using the term school refusal. Mm-hmm. There, of course, is kind of the term truancy mm-hmm. that's out there. So maybe help us sort through just the vocabulary of yes. all of these items and, and what's your preferred term and yeah. how do those things kind of all yeah. differentiate? So um, school avoidance and school refusal are the same thing. Most of the research that is out there uses the term school refusal, but people are moving to school avoidance. And that term started out in um, the UK and uh, in other countries because they felt that refusal seemed so defiant and that was not really representing these kids correctly. So they brought it in the term school avoidance and we adopted that term as well for those reasons. School phobia is so antiquated. So when people use that, it's just like they haven't read anything on school avoidance if they're still using school phobia. And truancy is unexcused absences where the child supposedly is seeking tangible rewards, whereas a kid with school avoidance has an emotional distress about school. Mm, Interesting. Okay. But we were talking about truancy and school avoidance Mm -hmm. before. And... I think, and you expressed as well, that kids who are truant, or I hate that term, I really want a new term for that, there's a reason they're not in school as right. well. Unmet need. Right. right. So let's not label them as bad kids. Mm-hmm. There's another differentiator, though, between school avoidance and truancy. So truancy, usually um, the parents don't know what's going on. It's hidden from the parents. And school avoidance, of course, the parents know where their kids are. The kids aren't hiding. And unfortunately, the kids are usually in their bedroom hiding. Got it. Got it. Mm-hmm. Could you talk for a second about um, just how School Avoidance Alliance came to be and what's the backstory here? Yeah. So my son went through school avoidance and um, it happened. He's 27 now. But when it happened and started over the years sporadically, but I'd say in f- full force when he was 12, 13, people didn't know what school avoidance is. The school district wasn't supportive. They thought he was manipulating us. And they didn't want to help or didn't understand it enough to help. And also mental health providers. There are not enough mental health providers out there. So we had to go to six, seven mental health providers until we found someone who actually labeled it for us. I had never heard the term. So I was like, I'm grateful to the psychiatrist after all these years for giving it a term. Because that goes on still today where parents have never heard of school avoidance and they kind of think that I'm crazy, something is really wrong with my kid and I don't know what it is. So to have a a word for it is helpful. But going through it with my son was so difficult because not only is there a firestorm going on in your home where your child is breaking down and you don't know what's going on, your home life is falling apart. You have the pressure from the school that obviously wants to bring your child back. Mm-hmm. And so that pressure of the phone calls coming in. The threatening the, letters. The yeah. Threatening letters. <laughs> that's another piece of the puzzle that's very difficult. And then you know, the pressure from the school, then the pressure from the parent to the child. And um, also what comes into play, which I needed to educate myself on, is 
Educational Disability Law, Section 504, and the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, which says that every child is entitled to a free, appropriate public public education, regardless of a disability. So what was missed back then with my son, and still schools miss this, is an emotional disability, mental health disorder, is a disability, and it is recognized as such in IDEA, and therefore a child would um, qualify for an IEP. So going through this with my son, I mean, our family broke down, you can't talk about it with people because when I did talk about it with my friends, they were like, what do you mean? You can't get your kid to school, you know, send him to my house. Mm. I'll get him to school. And it's just, you know, it's, it seems from the outside, like so weird, like what the heck's going on? But when you're in it as a parent, it is so lonely and confusing. And, uh, and a parent's like, you know, this is my job to get my kid to school. And all kids go to school, that's their job. So what the heck is happening? So having no support, that's when I started giving away information to parents. And then right before the pandemic, I realized that we were educating families on everything, on their rights and first-line treatments and how to work with the school, but they were still running into roadblocks because the school district didn't understand school avoidance. So then we decided to jump into educating schools. So now we educate schools and parents both. And that is so important because we might talk about it, but one of the best determinants of improved outcomes is parent-school collaboration. So if the school isn't understanding school avoidance, recognizing it, then it is such an uphill battle. Got it, got it. No, thanks, Jane. So what are some of the early signs that a parent or the school would recognize to, to say, oh, there's an issue here? I mean, is that, you know, like, for, for instance, some kids are avoiding a particular subject, a particular teacher, a particular moment of the day, mm -hmm. whereas some kids are avoiding the entire experience right. of school. So does it generally start with these moments and then, you know, advance to I don't want to go at all? Or what would be some early signs that both educators and parents could pick on? pick up on before there is a pattern established. Right. Well, what you said is true, that sometimes it builds up gradually. And obviously, you know, we read about signs of school avoidance. Obviously, you know, it's being absent and missing school, starting to come in later, more regularly, or trips to the nurse, mm -hmm. or leaving school. But what I talk to schools about and parents, that there are always signs beforehand that lead to the school avoidance that you, we've missed Academic, academic issues a lot of the times are not addressed properly and behavioral issues. And they, um, if they're missed, those things start building on the child and they be turned into school avoidance. So like with my son, he started having issues with homework early on and couldn't do simple writing exercises in first grade and a very intelligent kid. And I had no idea what was going on. He was exhibiting anxiety I didn't realize it was anxiety because it doesn't look the same in kids as it does in adults. I've been to therapists all my life. I read about mental health. So I didn't even understand what was going on. He was like running in circles and having tantrums because he couldn't do his homework. That was a sign of anxiety. I didn't know until my social worker aunt told me. Um, 
So the signs really have to be looking at other factors of our children. Early intervention, schools have to be on the lookout. You know, a lot of times kids with academic issues, in the olden days, I know kids don't really use books anymore, but textbooks, kids would leave their textbooks in school. It's not just because they're forgetful. It's because they're avoiding doing the work. So there are signs that we can see. And parents usually have a gut feeling. They see things happening. But you know, you might disregard them or think it's a phase or, you know, maybe I'm not seeing things clearly. But then when you see your kid going to school late or being absent a little bit, yeah, you got to pay attention. Well, that I don't think it's being recognized as it's part of your stress response, right? We have four main stress responses, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, and that this is the the flight. This is the avoidant tendencies or that this I'm overwhelmed by whatever the the thing is. I'd rather avoid it than deal with it is my stress response. So I think when people can think about it that way, it creates more empathy. But to your point, the signs and symptoms being missed, I think a lot of kids are saying, my stomach hurts. I've got a lump in my throat. And when a teacher or a parent says, says, let me see in your throat. I don't see anything red. Like there's nothing wrong here. You're, you know, you're just always trying to go to the nurse. But when they get to the nurse, the nurse might be sweet and calm and calm <laughs> that nervous. And all those symptoms go away just as quickly as they came. And now they suspect yeah. the kid is faking. Yeah. 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 So if we shift from signs to triggers, what, what are some of the things that can trigger kind of school avoidance? You mentioned kind of maybe academic difficulties mm-hmm. as being one of them. What does the research indicate like other areas might be? Well, the major causes are um, emotional disorders, anxiety and depression, obviously, and uh, an undiagnosed learning difference or a diagnosed learning difference that is not being treated appropriately with appropriate accommodations, modifications or services. So triggers also are, as we talked about, academic issues, things that kids might struggle with. A lot of recently I'm talking to a lot of parents where ADHD or ADD has gone undiagnosed for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I've heard this from a few parents recently. We do peer support, peer-to-peer support calls for our parents. And that's come out a lot. Also things that are missed are things like having a toxic teacher mm-hmm. that I've heard from parents often mm-hmm. that maybe a kid was called out in second grade or third grade or kindergarten as being you know a bad kid or not living up to their potential or being not as not as smart and those things stay with kids. I recently someone showed me a TED talk where we talk about um, trauma in the home and how that affects kids. And this woman was talking about how there's trauma in the schools that we miss. Now, this is a delicate subject because we don't want to say that schools are abusing kids. They are not. But obviously, there are bad apples in every uh, profession out there. And if there is a teacher, this one lady was talking about how she was like a real um eager student. She loved raising her hand. She was really smart and that she was treated poorly for that because they thought she was a show off and a know-it-all and they really treated her poorly. And she said that was traumatic for her. So those things, um, a lot of the times, you know, the problem is with school avoidance, it's complicated because it's usually co-occurring. It's usually Mm -hmm. not just one thing. It could be anxiety, but plus another issue, like maybe there isn't a learning difference, but a lot 
a lot of school avoidance kids seem to be really highly intelligent. So sometimes like in your earlier life for these kids, they didn't have to study or do homework. The work came so easy to them. But when they get on in age of middle school and high school and they, they can't get on anymore without studying, they're like, what is wrong with me? I've heard of that a lot of time, like the perception of having a learning uh, difference. Got it. Uh, could it be depression as well and causing the low motivation yes. and all that? Yes. Yeah. And uh, fif I think 50% of kids, the statistics show, who have school avoidance are depressed. And if they don't start out depressed, they're going to become depressed because they're, they're sitting in their home isolated mm -hmm. and wondering what the heck is wrong with me. That's depressing. Um, so could you share some like practical strategies for parents? I know that you were also the parent of a school avoidant child. Mm -hmm. What were some things that helped you get your son back into school? Mm -hmm. Was it a gradual process or was it, you know, because I've heard different things about anxiety, like you don't want to uh, linger in, in any modification for too long or they'll get too comfortable there. So it should be a quick, you know, into the deep end kind of a thing. Is that your thought or should it be really gradual or what are some strategies that parents and educators can do to help get kids back into school? Well, unfortunately, it's usually not a quick fix yeah. unless you are catching it at the beginning. And that's why we preach all early the time, intervention. early intervention, yeah. early intervention. We want to educate parents on the signs so they will act accordingly. What I say to parents is if they're seeing signs of school avoidance, the first thing you want to do is call the school. And I would get a meeting with them because you want to explain to the school if they don't realize that school avoidance is um, we have to get the kids back the sooner the better as we know the longer they're out the harder it is and this is can be serious and you want to find out is there something going on that I'm missing meeting with the teachers I would also consider asking to meet with a social worker because sometimes you, um, the first line you're supposed to go to your school counselor but sometimes a school counselor isn't educated on school avoidance and they will miss the signs. So I would say always try to talk to a social worker. They might push you back to the school counselor. Some are educated, some are not. And um, tell the school what's going on and that you want to find out what's going on and work with them. Secondly, you want to say, you know, is there an issue with their mental health? Parents usually have an instinct about if the kid has anxiety or depression and get the child evaluated and see a mental health professional. Also think about, have there been signs academically or in school? Is there a learning difference? And if you feel that there is, write a letter to the director of special education and ask for your child to be evaluated for special education to see if there is a learning difference. And I would say always put that in writing. I made this mistake, and again, I didn't learn until later on when I learned all about this, that I was asking for like years, like two years, I was having problems with my son. And I was like, oh, I want a 504 plan. I was told to say that. I didn't even know what it was. I want a 504. I want a 504. Never, never got it. I never got it until I had an advocate come in two years later. And then I found out from talking to special education attorneys that you really must put these things in writing because then the clock starts ticking and the school must respond within 10 days. So you wanted to see if your child has any learning differences, mental health issues, you want to get the school involved. And as you said, you don't want to show the anxiety. You don't want to give air oxygen to the uh, avoidance of the anxiety. I did everything wrong when I was a parent with a child. 
it was so scary to me. I was like, oh, come sit in my room, come watch TV. And that is the opposite. You are not supposed to coddle them. You are supposed to be matter of fact, indifferent and model calmness. And this is something I hear that's really important. We have, again, I have this peer support group and parents who have had success getting their kids back, this is a major factor that we talk about not letting the school pressure you and feel that anxiety every morning. Separate them from what's going on in your home and be calm. Do not be anxious. A lot of parents say this makes a huge difference. Got it. Got it. Oh, I think overall, the dysregulation, whether it's teachers are dysregulated in school, causing anxiety for kids or at home. Yeah, it's all about regulation, how yeah. well we regulate our emotions. So, Jane, that's the parent playbook. Walk me through kind of the school district playbook. Mm -hmm. So I, I assume school districts, obviously, you, you would like to see them supporting the process that you just mm -hmm. laid out with yes. respect to, to parents. What yes. are some of the other things that you're seeing that districts are doing that can make a positive impact on school avoidance? Well, first of all, they have to be educated on school avoidance because unfortunately there hasn't been professional development. I know you do some and I do it as well. And that is foundational to improving absenteeism because if you don't understand school avoidance, you're, tr you're throwing darts and guessing what's working based on research in real life. So you need to have your frontline staff educated on school avoidance, your school counselors, school nurse, anyone on an RTI team response to intervention. Sometimes the principals, assistant principals, superintendents, because they're involved with policy, the school nurse, obviously the child study team, social workers, psychologists, MTSS, they have to be educated on that. Secondly, they have to learn how to intervene early. And I know that is so hard because our educators have so much going on these days. But if they are educated on school avoidance, they will learn that maybe they have an issue with a child academically and they are in an in an intervention meeting and they might hear signs of the kid maybe having struggles going to school, they will see that right away and be able to figure out how to work with best practices, which will get in to help a child back to school rather than just, you know, keep trying things that are not working until it becomes a crisis. So early intervention, we talked about attendance letters, um, schools, there are compulsory education laws, obviously, and schools are mandated to send out letters if a child is absent for a certain time. Every school is different, three days, five days, 10 days. The attendance letters are really intimidating and threatening. Harsh. Yeah. Okay, especially if you, that's your first interaction with your school district is, you know, Johnny's been absent for three days. You know, here's the law 2.22 of the code. Your child must attend school. And if he doesn't, we will send you to truancy court. You will pay a $500 fine. He can have his driver's license revoked. It's really scary. And you're, so your kid's breaking down at home and you're freaking out how to help him. And then your school's like, get this kid to school. It doesn't work. And Again, parent collaborate, school collaboration, so important. So we always talk to schools and this is on, in our training, we must reevaluate our attendance letters and use different words. And I know um, that sometimes people don't agree with this. They think that we're coddling and being so soft on, on our kids and our parents these days, but it is a different world and you have to look at perceptions. You know, we want to work together. You know, what is that feeling when you get a letter like that? How would you like to, how would you feel when you got that letter threatening you to go to court? 
Um, so that in schools have to also, they will learn best practice is reintegrating kids slowly, which is based on exposure therapy, which is part of cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a first line treatment for school avoidance. So that is meeting the child where they are. So if a child's out for weeks, months, years, and the school's like, okay, he must come to school on Monday. A kid is not gonna all of a sudden walk into school Monday after being out for weeks, months. It has to be a slow process. And the process has to follow the child's progress and needs. So I sometimes speak to schools and they're like, we are doing reintegration. We are doing like an exposure type reintegration hierarchy but they're doing it not on the kid's terms, they're doing it on their terms. Right. So like, okay, so John, mom, John will come to school for one period on Monday. He'll come for two periods on Tuesday, three periods on Wednesday. And that is not appropriate either because right. we cannot stick every kid in a box and say, this is gonna work for everyone. It's individualized. Everyone is different. So we just have to come to the front office right. first, right? Did we just hang out in the front right. office for a minute? <laughs> we walk around the building. Or get out of the house. Some of us drive yeah. by the school yeah. first, right? So yeah. Gene, do most districts that you work with have the programming in place to be able to successfully accommodate that reentry? I mean, what, what are you observing there? No. Because school avoidance has not been on the radar for so long, it snuck up on schools. They were not prepared for it. And now they are, I'm hearing from more schools than ever. And they are kind of at a loss. And mm -hmm. so we say, listen, you have to be educated on school avoidance, educate your staff, then look at what your school is doing right. What are we doing right? What can we reevaluate? What can we improve upon? And then build a team and a process and a protocol for reintegrating kids. And those people that form this team, they will become your in-school experts, your in-district experts. And as they obviously do it more and more, they'll become more and better at it, better educated and more educated and better at it, more experienced. I've seen some <laughs> schools too, where I think people have good intentions, but they just don't realize the impact do. of their words. Yes. So a kid will be out for weeks or months, as you said, and they finally come back and from the front office all the way through the class, well, 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 look who it is. Look who showed up today. Ooh. Well, look who made it in. And these kind of comments where the kid is like hanging on by a thread. You don't know what I had to do to make it here. And then this, you're greeted with these types of comments makes it and, and draws all this attention to you and like wow we forgot what you look like and all this kind of stuff yeah so. that will set a kid back yeah yeah you yeah. might not see them the that's next a day. really yeah. good point that's why mm -hmm. even we say educate your people in your off your front office they might not need a full-blown professional development course but you explain to them how it's important to act with these kids and their parents when they walk in. Obviously, do not say, where have you been? Yeah. You know? We haven't seen you in two months. Yeah. <laughs> right? No. Right, right. Um, well, as we wind down, we have some questions that we always ask um, our guests. The you know, so we want to know what's in your mental health toolkit. What helps you relax? What helps you regulate and maintain good mental health? Is that yoga, journaling, walking, gardening, baking? What is it? Listen, <laughs> I know the best thing is exercise. And when I do exercise, it's the healthiest thing. Yeah. But I have to admit, I haven't done it in six months. I haven't exercised. I've been totally letting work take over my life. Yeah. So I am not a good example. You feel the difference, though? 
Yes, yeah. I do. <laughs> One thing I will say is that I have had cognitive behavioral therapy throughout my life. And I think they should teach cognitive behavioral therapy in school and mental health because we all have automatic thoughts and automatic negative thoughts. And why are, is that not pointed out to us until we go to therapy? Why aren't we taught that in school so we know how to deal with this? Because sometimes our mind tr plays tricks on us. So because I have had cognitive behavioral therapy, sometimes I learned how to reframe things in my mind. If I'm seeing them in a different way, I can reframe it. Like one thing, you know, I might talk to my husband about this all the time. Our business is growing, but it's very stressful, you know, running a business and you know, worrying about the numbers. And sometimes it's just never, you know, good enough. We're not doing good enough. And I will say to myself, well, what would you tell your friend, Debbie, if she was doing all this stuff? Would you tell her that she's a failure? Would you tell her that she's, you know, has got to step it up? No, he would say, you know, you are doing great. So I've learned to reframe. One other really important thing is gratitude. Really, not just saying it, really taking time to think about what you are grateful for. During COVID, I have to share this. I know we're going long. I did that happiness course from Yale. Have you ever heard of it? I've heard of it, yeah. And I'll tell you something. That was a great thing to do during COVID. I remember when I did it, and part of the exercises are like, you know, sitting and thinking about, you know, what you're grateful for every day. And that made such a difference. I didn't know that was a, a thing through Yale, but I was doing that myself. You during, were, good I, for you. Well, because it was getting tough, like midway through the lockdown. And so my mind would be at four o'clock and I'd wake up at seven and the gratitude practice would really help. Good for you. My day, yeah. I'm not doing it, as you, like you said, it's not something I've maintained, but I do know when I'm doing it, it really works. Yeah. And Jane, last question, just to wrap up. If you had overarching, all-encompassing power to kind of snap your fingers and, and change one thing about how school districts kind of deal with school avoidance uh, or how the system in general deals with school avoidance, what, what would that what would that be? Yes. Well, I think it might come down to how schools um, get their funding with the average daily attendance. Mm. Those numbers really put pressure on schools to get the kids back in the building. So what's happening, some school districts um, choose, I, don't, I think the laws allow them to, where they can unenroll a child and take them out of, revoke their admission to school for out of school for about you know 10 days or a long period, 15, 20 days. And that is heartbreaking to a child and a family who's struggling with school avoidance. It just says, we don't care about you, you know, screw you, you know, deal with this on your own. That is just the worst thing. And the schools do this, I'm pretty sure, because this if the child is off their attendance rolls, they're not penalized for them not being there for their average daily attendance. So that is a big thing. And the way that school avoidance is treated as these kids are truant. And again, we talked about how truant kids aren't bad kids either. They're not going to school for a reason, but truancy leads to punitive actions. Yeah. So recognizing the language matters, really being careful about kind of our vocabulary here and the, what well, message that sends to the And not community. sending parents to truancy court right. mm -hmm. unless you really, or child protective services, unless obviously you see signs, but that is not your go-to. Got yeah. it. Got it. Well, Jane, thank you so much. Incredibly informative. Thank yes, you. Thank uh, you for being just really here. appreciate you sharing your knowledge and so your, nice talking with your, you guys. your expertise. Absolutely. So <laughs> thank you for coming. Yeah. Thanks for having me. 
Well, Lane, you want to wrap us up with, uh, you know, what, what inspired you this week? What inspired me? Oh, gosh, this is a good question. Um, what inspired me? I'm trying to think about this last week in review now. Um, uh, I, You know what I would say? I've done a lot of admin cohorts this this past week. I was talking about this with Jane before we got started, but it's been really inspiring work. To see. So what our admin cohorts are is that we work with administration around professional development. It's just a group um, uh coaching for them month to month. So school avoidance, one of my districts chose this for one of their topics. We talked about staff mental health um, was another recent topic. And it's really amazing to see how the administration takes a deep dive into this, how we have these structured conversations about, you know, what are the barriers that get in the way of these best practices? How can we get around them? It becomes a real think tank session. And uh, it's been really cool to watch. This is the first year we've been doing these and it's been really, really fun to see. So uh, last week I had a couple of them. And I really enjoy them. So I think the first thing I got inspired by was just seeing like the change that is uh, is definitely possible through those types of uh, group group coaching sessions. And it's so much better when it starts at the top. Um, the trickle down is is incredible. So yeah. that's what's inspired me. How about you? Yeah. So for, for me, we've had a chance to be part of a school-based mental health task force that's being mm -hmm. sponsored by the Kennedy Forum. So that's been really great to be involved in. They had a conference um, in Boston maybe two, three weeks ago. Nice. Uh, had a chance to participate uh, on a panel there talking about issues related to funding of school-based mental health and just kind of where you know school-based mental health as a field kind of goes from, from here. And then in D.C. in a couple of weeks, hopeful to get the chance to talk to some legislators and some policymakers about some of the things that we can do at a federal level to you know, support school-based mental health and make sure students are getting the, the the care that they need here as we go through this really critical time for them. So that's been yeah, really interesting important. to be a part of, to hear from other organizations that are doing kind of different things in the field, but also to get kind of a broader perspective on what's happening kind of nationally. So, that is uh, inspiring. Yeah, it's been Fingers great. crossed. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again to Jane Dembski, uh, founder of the School Avoidance Alliance, our guest for today. Lane, great to see you yes. as always. And to all of our listeners, thank you again for joining uh, into another episode of the MindBeat uh, podcast. We hope to see you next time and uh, enjoy your fall. Take care. Bye, everybody. The MindBeat podcast is a production of Effective School Solutions. MindBeat represents the opinions of Duncan Young, Lane Whitaker, and their guests on the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. This podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing a standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on this podcast. If you or someone you know is experiencing a mental health crisis, please call the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, the SAMHSA National Helpline at 1-800-662-HELP or your local health care provider.